Folks, we've been doing uh, this series, Faith in a Hostile World, and we're talking about how you're to live your life in a world that is hostile to your faith. Now, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about what's happening in politics. I'm not even talking about what's happening in the culture. Because you need to understand Christianity was birthed in a pagan, totally pagan culture with a political situation that was totally anti-God. But yet it flourished. So that's not what we're talking about here as far as threatening your faith. You need to understand that. That's not what's threatening your faith. But there are some things that do threaten your faith, and we've looked at them through this series. Like, for instance, in chapter 1, we've looked at one of the greatest threats to your faith is your total ignorance of what salvation means to you and what it requires of you. The other threat to your faith, we saw that in chapter 2, is the presence of false teachers among us who would lead you astray from your Christian life. And they're very real. They're very much a part of our churches today. And then finally, we've looked at the other great threat, and that is not understanding your hope that Jesus Christ is coming back for you. Because that does affect you. And today's message is going to be about that. Now, when I say we're going to talk about the second coming, immediately somebody's going to say, okay, well, George is going to do a message today that's going to tell us what all is going to happen. No, that's not what this passage is talking about. Not every passage that talks about the second coming in the New Testament is telling you details. Rather, Peter's got a different point that he wants to do here. He wants to talk about you being ready. What do you mean being ready? I'm already ready. I'm ready, George. Are you sure? Are you sure you're ready? Because there's a surefire way to find out if you are. What do you mean? What, what do I need to do to find out if I'm ready for Jesus coming back? Well, why don't you ask yourself some questions? Like, what are you living for? What do you mean, what am I living for? Well, if you ask yourself some concrete questions about what you're living for, you might find that that determines whether or not you're ready for when Jesus comes back. Because we live in a culture today where, I'll just be honest with you, what we're living for is retirement. What we're living for is a nest egg to sit on. What we're living for is whatever our goals are and our achievements are that we want to achieve in this life. What we're living for is a vision of what we want to have right here. A new house. Or if we have that house, a new room. Well, I thought we just changed that room 10 years ago. Well, we got to change it again. Those kind of things. What are you living for? You're living for your kids or whatever. You say, well, those aren't bad things, George. No, they're not bad things. I'm not saying they're bad things. But they can be distractions. Distractions from where you need to keep your focus. Because remember, the greatest threat is not just your misunderstanding of salvation. It's not just the false teachers that might influence you in the wrong way. But it's also misunderstanding your hope. What you're living for. And that's what Peter's going to talk about 
today. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to start off in verse 10 and go through the end of the chapter. Read with me as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blameless, and, and blameless, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away by the, with error, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Wow. What's he talking about here? Well, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take these verses, verses 10 through 18, and we're going to divide them into three sections. Okay? We're going to see, first of all, in verse 10, that he's going to talk about the end of the world. The end of the world, folks. And trust me, folks, what you see on television is not what it's going to be about. We're going to see the end of the world. We're just going to see a brief mention of that here. We're going to explain that to you. Then we're going to have a second section starting in verse 11 through 13 where he's going to talk about how you and I need to have perspective. Because it's really easy for you and I to lose perspective, isn't it? Because I already told you we're distracted by what? All these other goals that we want to achieve. So we've got to get our perspective back where it needs to be. And then we're going to see in verses 14 through the end of the chapter what it means to live for the future. You and I need to be living for the future. And when I talk about living for the future, I'm not talking about retirement. I'm not talking about for the dream home or the bucket list that you want to complete. I'm talking about what's really important. So that's what this message is going to be about. So let's talk about the end of the world. Look at what he says in verse 11. Verse 11 is a confusing verse to some folks because they've looked at prophecy in other books of the Bible, and this doesn't seem to make sense with what Peter is saying here. But look at what he says, verse 11. Therefore, excuse me, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the knife in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and elements will melt with fervent heat, but 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Here's two points I want to make to you. Because he's making a general statement. Number one, first of all, the events of the end of the world, the the events of the end times will happen suddenly. That's the point he's making here. With this one statement, look at this one statement. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the knife in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. That sentence is a broad sentence. He's talking about the events of the end times, which start with what? Jesus coming back for his church like a thief in the night, the rapture. Ending with what? Ending with the end of the age in which the heavens and the earth will pass away. That's what he's referring to here. With that one statement, the day of the Lord talks about the end of the world. And what he's going to tell you is, is that it'll happen suddenly. No one will be expecting it. He's talking about it in terms of Jesus used it many times in reference to a thief coming in the night. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you expect thieves to show up at your house? Do you know when they're showing up? No. If you knew when they were showing up, you'd be what? Ready, right? You'd be waiting for them with something in your hand to tell them, don't come in here, right? But thieves usually show up when you don't what? Expect them. And so this is what Peter is talking about. The end of the world is going to happen. The events that happen with regards to the end times are going to come suddenly. Nobody's going to be expecting it. You're not going to be expecting it. You'll be totally surprised. In fact, in other passages, Jesus talks about in that day when it happens, people will be given away in marriage. How would you like to have your wedding day on the day when Jesus comes back? Isn't that amazing? Why do they do that? Because they think everything's going to be normal. Normal. Nothing's going to happen. Remember, we talked about that last time we looked at this passage. Scoffers say, where is he? He hasn't come back yet. Nobody's looking for him. That's a scary statement right there. Nobody's looking for him. And I almost wonder if even in the church now, we've quit looking for him. Quit looking for him. We've given up looking for him. So he starts off, first of all, by saying the end of the world, the events of the end times will happen suddenly. Here's the second thing he says, and this is what you and I need to grasp. Here it is. In the end, the world and everything we know will cease to exist. The world and everything we know will cease to exist. What do you mean cease to exist? Well, he talks about it here as everything will burn up. Basically, in the end, when God finally does away with it, Revelation talks about the old earth and the old heavens pass away. There's a brief statement. What's he talking about? They cease to exist. Wow, that should put everything in perspective, shouldn't it? Because we spend our lives striving for what, folks? Stuff and achievements and trying to make things better. 
And one day, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. I remember, I can't remember, I think it was when Lori and I graduated from seminary, I think the speaker at that commencement was James Dobson. Remember Dr. James Dobson? He used to be on with Focus on the Family. And he talked about how in college... He was a tennis player who was, I guess, college tennis player who was very good. And so as a t- college tennis player, he got trophies for whatever school he was playing for. I think it may have been USC. I think he was a graduate of University of Southern California. And they were trophies there with his name on it. And this was back in the 60s or whatever, and so he had these trophies, and he was he just thought, I've earned these trophies. Till somebody contacted him. Now, remember, Lori and I graduated from seminary in the early 90s. Somebody contacted him and said, Dr. Dobson, I found your trophies. Oh, you found them in a display case there at USC? They said, no, in a dumpster behind the building at USC. They had to make room for the newer trophies. Then he went on to say that, you know, life trashes your trophies. Life trashes your trophies. You know, we strive, we're trying to achieve stuff, and the reality is, is that, folks, you need to get it in perspective. The end of the world's going to come, and guess what? It's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. It's all going to be burned up. Every single bit of it going to be burned up so that's where he comes to verse 11 through 13 and says you and i need to have perspective now why is that important well i already told you that what can happen is is we quit looking for jesus's returning because we're distracted now by the goals that we want to achieve can i tell you that there's something else that might distract you from looking for jesus the difficulties you go through right now. You and I can get to the point where we lose perspective. And so he's going to point some things out to you here. Look with me, first of all, verse 11. Look at what it says, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt away with fervent heat what's he saying here first thing understanding the end puts everything in perspective right off the bat see can I be honest with you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ You're different than somebody who's not a believer in Jesus Christ. What do you mean? I don't want to be different. Well, you are. Can I tell you why you are? Because you know how everything's going to end. You know where everything is headed to. And you know that you need to hold on loosely to what's here. You see, the problem is sometimes we want to hold on tightly. But God has to bring things into our lives continually to tell us what? Loosen up. Quit holding on to it. 
Because the fact of the matter is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that all of history, all of time, everything is moving to one event in the future. What's that event? Jesus Christ coming back. And so when you understand that, it puts everything in perspective about what you're living for, why you're doing what you're doing. Everything gets put into perspective. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, the world as we know it now is going to cease to exist. We're not going to make it better. It's only going to get worse until one day Jesus says he's had enough and he's coming back. That's reality. So the first thing, understanding the end puts everything in perspective. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. Our hope is that which will come after the end of this world. That's what our hope is in. Folks, my hope isn't, what if I win the lottery? I know some of you try. But can I be honest with you? You don't want that. Well, how do you know, George? I see the lives that are ruined later. The statistics are there. You can't ignore them. The people who end up winning it, lose it. And their life is worse than before. Talk about the guy, I remember reading an article years ago about the guy in West Virginia who won the big mega whatever. And he lost his family, he lost his friends, had family members try to kill him, lost a granddaughter to drugs. And his statement was he wished he'd never won it. See, the reality is, is our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in what's beyond this world, what's coming beyond this world. It's being with Jesus forever in a world that's perfect. Why do you think that he called it when he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? And he wasn't talking about the Bahamas, folks. He was talking about being with him in a perfect world. Where there, what, what do you mean a perfect world? Well, Revelation chapter 20, where he'll wipe away every tear. And there won't be any more sickness. No more death. Isn't that awesome? Because isn't that what this world has for us here? See, we got to get a perspective going here. Do you understand? you got to get a perspective. You, your hope is not in this world. It's all going to get burned up. Live like that. Because your hope is in something else. So then we get to verse 14 through 17, and he's going to give us four things here about how we should be living now. What we should be living for. This is what we see. We should be living in a way that's looking forward to what? His coming back. He's going to tell us real quick four things right here in this passage to tell us what we should be doing right now as we live for him. Notice what he says. First of all, verse 14. Look at what he says. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. First thing I want you to see here. Make every effort to be found in peace 
by the Lord. See, I wanted to focus in on that first part, because he says two things there, be found in peace and to be found without spot and blemish. I want to focus in on that first one. Why? Because I'll be honest with you, think about it for a moment. We're distracted right now, right? We want our goals. We want that nest egg, that retirement, that house, that family, those grandkids. We want all the stuff that life has to offer. And we're striving for it. We're striving for it. We're striving for it. And can I tell you something that's missing from our lives as we're trying to get all that stuff right now? The one thing that's missing from all of our lives, we know what it is, right, folks? Peace. We're not at peace. So how many of you have had sleepless nights thinking about what you were wanting to do to get whatever? We've had many of those nights, haven't we? Because we want this, and we'll do what we got to take for it. And then have you noticed, when we get it, because sometimes we get it, right? We still don't have peace. Still don't have peace. Oh, if I could only get this, if I could only, then everything will be okay. Haven't you ever said something like that? I have. And guess what? You get it, and guess what? Things still aren't okay. Then how do we get the peace, George? Peace comes from resting in God. Do you know what I mean? Look, think about it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the what? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, folks? God's peace. How does that happen? Quit worrying about all this other stuff. Quit striving for stuff that you know will not be here that doesn't bring you peace. Because you're living for what? Something more? You're living for the future? You're looking forward? Make every effort to be found in peace by the Lord. That's what Peter's telling us here. Here's the second thing he's telling us from the same verse. Make every effort to be found without spot or blemish of sin. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, I'll tell you what he's talking about, folks. He's talking about you need to make every effort in your life to deal with the junk in your life. What junk, George? The junk that you know is junk in your life. See, it's real easy for a preacher to get up here and tell you what sin is. But the fact of the matter is, half of you can tune that out because half of you would say, well, I don't do that. It's better for me to say you deal with the sin in your life because you know what the sin is in your life, right? 
And the question is, because we know that one day Jesus will come back like a thief in a knife, you're not expecting him to show up. Have you ever been caught red-handed by your mama with your hand in the cookie jar when she told you not to take the cookies? I know what it's like when Lori makes those, those banana things with that white icing on top, and she said, you can only have one, but then I go back and sneak another, and she catches me. That's not a good feeling, is it? Getting caught with one in each hand. Right? Trying to put the top back on with your palm. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? But think about that. Think about it. Somebody's in shock in the back. Yes, I do do that, okay? All right, listen. We laugh about that, but what about getting caught doing what you know you shouldn't be doing because Jesus showed up? That's what he's talking about here. Living in such a way that, number one, you're found in peace, but number two, you aren't caught red-handed. Doing that which you know you shouldn't be doing. What is that, George? Talk to him. He'll tell you. You probably already know. Here's the third thing. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. And consider that the long suffering of the Lord, of our Lord, is salvation, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you. As also in all his epistles, speaking of these things, which are things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also as they do also the rest of the scripture. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Number one, recognize that God's timing is for salvation. Because you might be here and you're saying, well, okay, if he's coming back, then come on back. Yeah, but he doesn't operate on our timing. And again, he's pointing out here that the reason why he's not coming back yet is for what? Salvation. Whose salvation? Other people to get saved. What people? Well, probably you're here. If you're here, you're a believer in Jesus. That means you probably have a family member that you love who doesn't know the Lord, and you want them to know the Lord, right? If Jesus came back today, would there be any hope then? No, not at all. So his delay is actually for what? Salvation. For who? For those who don't know him. That puts it all in perspective, right? Because here's the thing, folks. You don't know when he's coming back. So don't take your friends or your loved ones condition for granted here's the final thing he points out here look with me verse 17 and 18 you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with error of the wicked but grow in grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen here's the final thing i want you to see you need to make every effort to be found faithful and not deceived by error. 
See, that's the greatest threat right there. The greatest threat is that you and I become so distracted by life, we're so distracted by what we want to achieve in life, we get so distracted, we don't focus on what we need to be focused on. What do we need to be focused on? Living for Him, being found right by Him, and not allowing ourselves to be what? Deceived by error. Deceived. See, that puts it all in perspective. It's not an issue of knowing all the details. It's an issue of being ready for what's coming. Do you understand? Because the fact of the matter is, is you can know that he's coming and still not live for him. Still not look forward to him. And then when he shows up, you're caught off guard. So I want to give you two things to think about. All right? Here's, there they are. First one. Number one, it's a question. And yeah, I'm asking this question. But you don't need to tell me the answer. You need to tell yourself the answer. Number one, are you willing to admit that you may have lost sight of the end? Are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to admit that you have gotten so distracted by with whatever else is going on in your life, whether it's good or bad or with the goals and the achievements or whether it's the stuff that you're going through right now, that you have lost sight of what's really important in this world? And what's really important, folks? Jesus coming back. That's what's important. That's what everything's moving towards. Do you understand? So you've got to ask yourself the hard question. Are you willing to admit it, that you've lost sight of it? Now don't say it out loud. Oh yeah, Georgia. No, no. This is for you and the Lord. Here's the second one. You must decide to live for something more than now. See, that's where we all are. I'll just be honest with you. All of us are living for now. But you and I need to get to the place where we decide to live for something more. More. For when he comes back. Because you're going to spend eternity with him. And this life passes away. We know that. So live for something more. So here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to get back in focus. That there's more to this life than right now. Because what's right now will cease to exist. And so all of the effort and all of the labor and all of that is meaningless so get it in perspective you know life offers similar lessons i'll give you one it's really an embarrassment to me but i'll share it with you 20 years ago, I told you, 20 years ago, 
I left the first church I pastored. Lori and I resigned from there and we left. That was 20 years ago, 1999. This is 2019, September of 1999. And when I think about that, I left there with Lori, Maddie, and Foss. Maddie was three years old. Foss was two. And we left not knowing where we were going after we left that church. We didn't have another church that we went to because we just felt God was telling us it was time to leave and we left. And so we came back to PA. And I thought, I mean, it was like an abrupt reality check for me. Because I'll be honest with you, in those four years of being in that church, I had in my mind what I was living for. I was living for building that church, building that church, building that church. And then all of a sudden, four years later, it was gone. And I'll tell you what I neglected. Lori and my kids. And the reality was is that I was living for the wrong thing and just, you know what, I had Dr. G with me a few weeks ago. We were up in Canada, and I said, do you want to see where I pastored? And we drove through that town, and I showed him where we lived, and, and I showed him where we met as a church. And the wonderful thing, it's not a wonderful thing, the reality was is that church doesn't exist anymore. It ceased to exist. And so I remember... Four years of pouring myself into something that doesn't exist anymore. But guess what I still have? Lori and my kids. Now, have I been perfect? She'll tell you no. It's just reality. But the fact of the matter is, is we all do the same thing. And Peter's trying to get us back to perspective here. What are you living for? It's got to be more than now. Do you hear me? Because Jesus is coming back. And are you ready? And are you waiting? I hope you are. Let me pray for you.